All right, welcome to episode five of the Wheel Takes LE podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm always joined with my brother, Ann. Uh, today, we're doing round two, week two of the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. There have been four series in this, uh, in this round, and only one of them is still remaining and still going on, that being the Colorado-Vegas uh, series. So three of them ended, and I thought we'd start off at the... Uh, the quickest series being the Montreal Canadiens versus the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I'll start right into it. I personally wanted to see how Montreal handled the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Not to say that their series against the Leafs was a fluke or, hey, it was just straight luck. You know, when when you're in an elimination like they were being down three to one and you come back from it, I truly think that, you know, you deserve a lot of credit. But I think a lot of people, after they beat the Leafs, were just like, ah, they're going to get beat up by the Winnipeg Jets. You know, they're not even going to stand a chance. So to me, this series for them was sort of a a tell to see, are they for real? Or, you know, possibly um, was it just a a miraculous comeback and that was it? And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it seriously wasn't. They they handled the Jets. I mean, I watched every single game, and I got to be honest with you, not at one point in this series did I ever think the Jets had a chance to win, not even when they went into overtime for game four. I, I know that they came down being down uh, to nothing, but I just I didn't even feel like the Jets were going to win once they tied it up. Yeah, this was definitely their statement series. You're right. Um I didn't watch any of it, and part of the reason I didn't watch any of it was because I was pretty confident that they were going to bowl over Winnipeg. Um, I mentioned it on the podcast last week, I think. This team reminds me of, of uh, LA Kings circa 2012, and now that the second round is over for them, uh, it feels like that even more. They got eight more wins to go. The Kings that, the Kings that year win... I want to say 16-4-0, I think. And so... Let me, let me check that real quick for you. Okay. If they do, if if they're going to match it, they're going to have to go 8-1 and one in the next two series. Um, I don't know if it'll come down to that much of a, of a mere, you know, carbon copy of the two teams, but I do think that Montreal is going to kind of low-key shake things up because Colorado's struggling right now and Vegas is playing a hard series and Montreal is almost like a goalie right now. They're just weird. Okay. They came back on Toronto. They looked like they were having so much fun against Winnipeg. Every still that I saw from that series, you know, they looked up. uh, I think Kakaniemi is like always smiling on his photos. I love seeing his stills after games. But um no, this uh yeah, I didn't watch a whole lot of it. Shifley was out, I think, for the whole series, right? Or maybe not all of it. Um he but only I think had that... the game one appearance and then got okay. suspended. That's right. Okay. That, this be- was the suspension. The right. Series. And then because he was suspended for four games but they only lasted for three more, he'll be suspended He's got another game. Yep. In the regular season, and you were right. The Kings did go sixteen and four in that. Uh, it was uh, no no loss. It was a sweep, one loss, sweep, two loss, right? 
they won in five against, I think, Vancouver in the first round, swept the next ah, so round. Five, went four, five four. with the uh, Coyotes and then went six. They won in six games in the Stanley Cup final against the uh, gotcha. Devils, I think. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, here's my off-the-wall take. Uh, look for Montreal to only lose one more game. And I tell you what, this would be a pretty Cinderella-style uh, victory for the Cup to return to Canada. Yeah, so no, it, it's a great point by you. I, I personally think that if if they were to do a 2012 Kings run and just only win one or only lose one more game after this series, uh, it, it is seriously going to rev up the Canadians up north because they've been dying to to see a cup go mm. go back. Now they're probably not too happy that it'll go back to Montreal because that was the last cup <laughs> game they had in '93. Right. <laughs> but at least it's going back to Canada. It's been in the United States for decades now, and and I don't know if you saw any reactions after the sweep in uh, Montreal, but man, those fans were going crazy, and I was seeing a lot of comments mm-hmm. and people saying like, "I'm getting Vancouver 2011 vibes." Oh really? I was yeah. I saw a lot of uh I'm going to the I'm standing outside the Bell Center for the rest of these games. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. No, um, it, it, nah, it's like here's the thing, man. It's it's not only like the team as a whole, their record right now could go this way, the way that they're winning could is matching the Kings. Not only all of that, but do you remember how good Jonathan Quick was that year? Yep. And Carey Price is really, you know, just matching it. Carey Price is I think finally found that level that I think so many Canadians fans have wanted him to hit for so long now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you and I were talking, we were texting the other night. If if Vegas were to move on, I mean, we we I, wow, I just got chills just now. Actually, we're we're gonna. It, it would feel like maybe 2010, 2009 again. <laughs> it, it it could be pretty nostalgic if Flurry moves on. Yeah. So, but I think it'd also be a real test for Price, too. Exactly. It will be, especially because he's older. Uh, yep. Quick in that, um, in that playoff run, obviously, was 16-4. and four. His goals against average was 1-4-1. One, 1-4-1 goals wow. against average, which is really yeah. good. And a save percentage of 9 goals and a half a game. Yeah, a save percentage of 9-46. That is... It was the shot total? Do you, do you have it? Uh, shot totals he faced... It looks like 538 shots and only allowed <laughs> in. Yeah. So that, I mean, and they were the eighth seed that year. And they yep. played the sixth seed New Jersey in, in the finals, didn't they? Uh, let me check. I think that was a wild, wild win that year. That was. Uh, I mean, I remember, or no, that wasn't the right year. That was in 2014. Um, that was in New York. Yeah, um, you're right. Jersey was six out of the East that year. Yeah, that was a really crazy finals. And uh, and honestly, I did not think New Jersey was even going to win a game, but they ended up giving the Kings the most losses in a series that 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 year. So yeah, they did. Credit to them. Yeah, and, and that's, <laughs> I think it's a good comparison with Carey Price because mm-hmm. try and look up his stats uh, just for this this series and compare him to the quicks but and keep in mind dude quick was really young that year too 
in price yeah. as old as he is with comparable numbers. Yeah. Hey, you, got, you guys are finally getting your money's worth. That's all I gotta say. And it, it would kind of be the opposite too, because Quick was young at that at that time, and now Kyrie. That's what I meant. Closer. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Oh, okay, yeah. So he's Quick is thirty five now, which meant uh, what was that? Nine years ago, he was uh, twenty twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. So there you go. And then Carrie Price has played 11 games he's eight and three um he's faced 337 shots saved 315 of them so you gave up 22 goals his save percentage is 935 goals against average is 197. so quick throughout the whole playoffs was better overall but obviously Carey price has played less games and you know i would say age is definitely a factor because i'm pretty sure Carey price is in his early 30s but I mean, it, he's just had an incredible run. Yeah, he's 33 right now. But you're right. I mean, this is this is what Montreal wanted to see, you know, out of Carey Price for years now. You know, a and, decade at least, I would yeah. say. I mean, they they paid him that big contract too. He's making I think 10 and a half million or or 10 million, and he became the first player in, in NHL history to. Uh, uh, for a team to finally have a, a player making more than ten million dollars on there. Did you confirm that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. I was yeah. thinking about that today. Crazy, isn't it? And that's by the way, that's in the salary cap era. Obviously, this isn't before, you know, the Gretzky era or any of the early uh nineties and early two thousands. This is this is like the gotcha. the uh, modern era where there's a salary cap. No no team has ever gone on to win a playoff series when they have a player making more than 10 million. So it's, it's incredible too. Wow. But again, it, it's, you want to see that when you're paying that guy that much money, you want to see some results and hell they're getting the results this year. Yeah, I agree. He's found, he's found a new form. He's found a new Zen or a new mojo, something he, he's tapping into something right now. And he's, and when goalies are in the zone like that, dude, I mean, they can just, they themselves can win series. <laughs> and yeah, and that's no, what it looks like, especially exactly. with that, that last series of Winnipeg. I mean, judging from what you said, it, it seems like Winnipeg didn't have an answer at any single minute during the series. Not at all. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people wanted to look at that and say, oh, Shifley was out. It, it kind of made... Um, it kind of uh, benefited Montreal that Shifley was out, but he, I think even if Shifley was in there, there wasn't much he could have done. And there's actually two things I want to get to um, for this series was, I think two weeks ago, I didn't necessarily criticize these two players, but I at least said it, if Montreal wants some to find some success and come back, specifically in the Leafs series, I said two players had to step up. That'd be uh, Kakaniemi and that would be Suzuki. And, they uh, they must have heard me loud and clear or something because the message got sent. <laughs> they just they have been stellar. Flip the switch, yeah. A, a switch went off for them, and they have been nothing but uh, stellar, nothing but you know just pure talent. And and it showed in a lot of those. It, it showed especially in the Winnipeg series because, like I said, not at any point did I say that Winnipeg even had a chance to win a game, just by the way they played and and they were able to roll four lines and. You know, Philippe Deneau is just one heck of a player who can play shutdown hockey and 
And I think that yeah. he's kind of a player that just gets really, it's just really under the radar, you, no matter what team you're talking about. Teams always have that line that they're going to throw out there to shut down the top line. Um, but Philippe Deneau is just doing an incredible job of it. Yeah, no, you nailed, um, you totally nailed the, those two players needing to heat up a few podcasts ago, dude. Um, and yeah, they, they're not the first to answer the call from from us call, calling them out or putting them on the hot seat. But uh, yeah, I mean, you called the shot. You said what they had to do. They did it and they took that series back and they continued to do it. And they, they didn't even have a single second of worry in the second series. So look, I mean, to, yeah, look to keep them going, I guess. Keep feeding them. Yeah, I mean, here's here's a stat too. And Winnipeg in that series never led. I don't think they ever led. Cause I didn't. I didn't think they did. Yeah, it was like four hundred or like what four hundred fifty-seven. I think it's over four hundred and thirty minutes right now. I thought four fifty-seven for some reason. That might be like the all-time record by the Canadians in the sixties. I think there was a okay. Yes, there it was. That Montreal just had That's a. Not. They just didn't score. They wouldn't let anyone not. score. But um, I forgot. I had something about the Canadians, but I forgot it. Maybe it'll come back to me. Yeah, uh, But on the flip side, I also wanted to get to Scheifele being out. That slotted up uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois for the first-line center. And I personally think that it's not really looking good for Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg. To me, again, he was kind of invisible in this series, as well as a lot of other Jets, so it's not specifically hammering on him. But when you get put up in the first uh, center slot and you're expected to produce um, with, I think it's Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor on your wings, and you don't really do much of anything, people are definitely going to shed light on you and have criticisms for you. But again, I mean, you know, it's not too hard on him because... He doesn't really play with those guys anyway, so he was getting new line mates and the chemistry wasn't there. But overall, I, I just kind of was disappointed in his play as well. Uh, I didn't see much from him that showed me uh, maybe possibly giving up line A was the best option for them. I, you know what? I was just going to go to that point, dude. I was just about to say, like, <laughs> it's too bad you're saying that because he's the guy that you're looking for to give that added edge. You know, that's why you went out at the trade deadline and got him. That's why you sent Line A off to Columbus to have that political or uh, PR fallout happen over there, only to have the same, not the same thing, but an, an underwhelming arrival of another player that was hyped pretty hard, I felt. He had some hype surrounding him coming into Winnipeg. He was feeling good. I remember, you know, seeing the um, clips, the press clips of him and and uh, the practice clips, too. So, so yeah, you really want to look to him, especially when he has to stand up or step up like he, like he had to. Like you mentioned, they put him into that first line center. Um, that's when you definitely want him stepping up. You need it. You need it. <laughs> you can't win a series. No. No, I, I agree. Now, I think that when he got traded there, he was on the second line with Ehlers and 
Um, I forget their other winger on the second line. But I, I just felt like when he came in and played second line center, it kind of obviously, you know, you know makes sense. But it disrupted the, the chemistry that that second line had. And I feel like they never really got their rhythm going in the playoffs. And then when Shifley went down, he had to go up on the first line. And again, it, it just showed his struggles and his, his lack of production. Um, I could have sworn I heard a stat, and I don't know if this is true, but I could have sworn that he is scoreless in his last, I forget the number. I wanted to say 23, but there's no way it's 23. Um, but I think. Who is this? Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I know he scored in the in the qualifying round. He had a hat trick in game four, was it, or game three? But I don't think he's scoreless in twenty three games. I think they may have. I think they may have misspoke and said twenty three periods or something. But even still, um, there's I someone he, who is scoreless for the last twenty three. In for the, uh, I think for the playoffs, it may have been the regular season. I I can't remember. I thought I heard that thrown out there, but I don't think it was. I think it may have just been a, a mistake by whoever threw it out. Whoever was reporting it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll look up his playoff stats and see where he's at. Um, but overall, you know, I, I think that people are going to shed light on that. And as far as coaching goes, I thought that Paul Maurice didn't really make too many changes to his lineup. He, he seems to be a very stubborn coach. In the sense he that is. he's not looking, he's not looking to change his lineup, and this was the he problem is. with the Leafs, in that Sheldon Keith uh, did not make any changes to his power play, didn't make any changes to his his first line with Matthews and Marner, and the same continued in in this Winnipeg Jets series where, you know, Blake Wheeler and, and Kyle Connor were struggling, but he he just wanted to keep them together instead Let of them, taking. Yeah. Wheeler down and putting Ehlers up on the first line, you know, just to get something going. But yeah, right now, that, that insight good. on Maurice is is pretty accurate. I, I he was the Hurricanes coach for a time, and I and I do have those memories of that because now you know you watch now and Brendamore is like throwing everybody over. He throws Nino down, or he throws Svech down to Nino's line sometimes. He'll pull Trocheck up to Stahl's line a lot. Um, and he, he, he'll do it at any point in the game. It's not just, you know, in a dire need scenario. So I de- I'll definitely confirm that with him. Yeah, it's even in his post game. Was there any goaltending changes? Uh, no, Connor Halbuck started the whole series. And I he had some no name behind him, didn't he? Brassois. Brassois wasn't bad. He had a lot of regular season starts. I okay. think he and like seven, which isn't a lot in a 50 game or 56 game. Season. Someone, in there's a goalie on a team that has some no name backup. I can't remember who it was. I thought it might have been him, but. So in the playoffs, here we go. Yeah. Look at this. In the playoffs, uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, seven games played, zero goals, three assists. He was a negative three. I mean, it, that's. Ooh. That's pretty bad. That's actually really bad. He had no points. Trade away line eight for. Um, but I think I heard or I listened to Paul Maurice's post game interviews for game four, and you can clearly tell he was 
you know, frustrated and he obviously didn't want to be there. Like no coach who's on the losing end of, of a series in the playoff wants to be, but especially a sweep. It's, yeah, a, a sweep like the way this was. I mean, again, this sweep was one of the most dominant sweeps I think I've ever watched. It may have even been more dominant, it, and it was more dominant than the uh, the Winnipeg Jets sweep of the Edmonton Oilers. It, this right. At no point did Winnipeg even look like they could have beaten Montreal. I mean, it, it felt like if they got a three-goal lead, they'd still lose. It just, they weren't there. And Palmer, yeah. I think, in his press game conference, I feel like he, not that he didn't take a lot of um, credit for maybe losing this series or being out coached, but he just seemed too frustrated to even really want to answer questions. And I think it kind of showed because one point I think they asked him, you know, if Mark Scheifele being out, did that play a role into it? And he just kind of brushed it off and just talked about <laughs> something else. You know, I mean, clearly he was frustrated. So I don't, I don't, I don't blame him, but you know, it's, you got to make adjustments when needed. That's the thing, dude. It's the playoffs. It's it, it, you're not just trying to get points anymore. You, you know, you're literally playing for your season. And when your season's on the line, to just stand there on the bench and and watch, you know, shift in and shift out to watch Pierre Luc Dubois, Connor, and um, Wheeler struggle to get anything in the net. And just to repeatedly say, yep, roll them out <clears throat> and not jockey anything up, not do anything with your goalie. It's, it's, it's an unconventional way to handle the spiraling of a series for you for, as the losing team. I would say. It is. It is. And, and, you know, I think in the playoffs, a lot of stuff doesn't get mentioned, like, you know, making adjustments and, and getting players off the ice when certain players come on on the opposite side. And, you know, to know he can play shutdown, but it, it was it was actually the parry line. Actually, it's, this is a good point. I, a lot of notes I have of this game, just briefly looking through them. I think two out of the four games they had, I, I just I wrote. Uh, I wrote they the Jets struggled against the Perry line. That's the. I think the Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, Paul Byron line. I think Paul Byron's the other player on that line, but I know it's Eric Stahl and Perry. And, and those guys, man, they just they handled the Jets. I mean, every opportunity they had in the offensive zone, it was pressure. It was you know these guys would get shots on net, and they would hardly be playing in their own zone, which is funny because again, that's a fourth line, third line on this Montreal Canadiens team. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter what line they were up against. They would always be in the zone getting pressure on Connor Hallibuck, and they often scored because of it. And, you know, it's it's another reason where I think, you know, Paul Maurice may have just looked at that and just didn't have an answer for that line because as hard as they, they got swept, um, it was definitely an all-around effort for Montreal. It wasn't just Suzuki or Kakaniemi or, or Brandon Gallagher. I mean, I'll quickly take a look at Brandon Gallagher's stats, but I hardly even think that that guy's having to produce as much as people may think. Good points, man. It's good to see Eric Stahl getting that success again. I, I hope he makes another run now that the Canes are out. And I mean, I was already looking at price anyways before we were out. Um, 
I really would like to see Montreal take. The more I think about it, the more I really would like. Uh, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but the more I want to see Montreal hoist it. I'd love to see Eric win one late in his career. Me too. I mean, and you look at Corey Perry. He, in the last two years, he was with the Dallas Stars, and they went yeah to the Stanley Cup final last year. And I don't know. He's kind of grown. He's been with Anaheim. Yeah, he won, he won one in Anaheim, I think, in 27. Yeah, 20, yeah. 2007 against Ottawa, I think. Um, but Brandon Gallagher, just real quick, he's got 11 points, two goals, two assists for four points in 11 games played. I mean, he, he doesn't even have to produce as much as people may have liked to see him for them to be successful. And At I, I think right that the depth that uh, the yeah, Canadians have. Yeah, they certainly have found that dub. And for Corey Perry, just quickly give him that, and then we can move on to the next series. So Corey Perry is just above uh, Brendan Gallagher. He's got 11 games played, three goals, three assists for six points. So he's just two more points. That's solid. And then real quick, Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl, wow, look at him. Ten games played, one goal, six assists for seven points, and he's a plus two. Not bad. Nice. Not bad for him. That is nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to add here. I think that Montreal, no matter who they face, whether it's Colorado or Vegas, I think that they could definitely beat those guys. Um, they got. I agree. For uh, I, I agree. Both. What's that? I was going to say those. You know, those two teams are facing each other right now. Yep. They're big heavyweight teams and they're slugging it out. And that's yep. only benefiting Montreal. Exactly. So, you know, on paper, yet again, this one's going to dictate that Montreal should be kicked out pretty quick. But nah, I think uh, Montreal has a real shot, especially with the, the opponent that they're about to face, whoever it may be. Um, they do have that. You know what? I bet they're hoping for a game seven too, because if it goes seven Real. games, yeah, everybody hopes for Game 7. If it goes seven games, those two teams are teams that could easily go to a double, triple, quadruple overtime in Game yeah. 7. Yeah. And then that just, you know, compounds on to Montreal's benefit. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of reminded me of 2018 when the Flyers went six games with the Penguins. It wore them out. And then when they faced the Capitals, they weren't as healthy. They weren't as, yep. uh, as uh, healthy. Um, for the, up against the Capitals, and I feel like if this series uh, tonight goes to seven games, only benefits Montreal even more because they have all this rest off. They're playing hot hockey, and their their goaltender is the hottest in the league. And then right. this will be the last point I make, and then we'll move on to another series. But I'll, I'll say that I don't see any other team that looks hotter than Montreal. I just wanted to say that right here, right now. I know it's pretty bold, especially with teams like the Lightning and and. Colorado and Vegas still alive, but personally, I just think that Montreal is the hottest team right now. Uh, I don't think that's too off the wall. I think I think New York is close, but I think you're right. I think they are the hottest team in the NHL right now. I say that because my friend Ryan, he said that he didn't agree. He said that Vegas and Colorado is still pretty big, but I don't know. Montreal's just... Uh, Vegas, maybe, but I don't think Colorado really has much merit anymore. But we'll, we'll, we'll stop, uh, we'll stop uh, previewing uh, 
the Vegas and Colorado series, and we'll just go straight into it. <laughs> um, this is a series that's it started off like, oh boy, I don't know if Vegas is going to be able to stick into this. And then I think all they needed to do was go home and, and take two games at home. And they did. I mean, they weren't big like the game one of seven to one when Colorado won at home. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter how big you win in those games. It only counts for one game. You know, it's always how I felt when a team got demolished in, you know, say game two and then game three, they win two to one. You're just like, it's only one game. I mean, I think a lot of people like to overreact and say, oh, boy, it's over for Vegas, especially when they were down two nothing. And one of the losses gave up. Um, they gave up seven goals. But to me, I'm not even really worried if I'm Vegas. Because uh, obviously they're in a, they're at home tonight with a chance to win this series, and Colorado definitely needs to find something going. Specifically, that McKinnon, Landis, Cog, Ranton in line. Um, they've been they were hot in the first two games. Since then, uh, Vegas has just learned to shut them down. And, and the problem being is their first line in Colorado. Uh, it, it feels like Pierre, or not Pierre, it feels like um, Pierre DeBoer, the head coach of Vegas, is putting his own first line up against their first line, and he's found a matchup he likes, and he's going to stick with it. Their first line has been able to just do nothing but shut out uh, the McKinnon line as well as scoring against that line, and it's killer for Colorado. I don't necessarily think that um, Colorado has a lack of depth because I feel like Brandon Saad, I feel like um, Burakovsky and some of these other guys have been producing, but uh, it, it just is a matter of, of McKinnon and Landis Cog and Ranson and trying to figure out how to score again, because if they don't, I think it's I think it's over for Colorado tonight. Yeah, the Colorado is definitely up against the wall here. Um, that first goal that they got against Vegas, uh, in the last game, I think was it Sod? I think it was Sod just throwing a puck at the net, and Flurry really just misjudged it, mishandled it. He he had a fluke. He shook it off. Um, it was super early in the game, which was good for him because uh, he's a goalie that you want to get settled into the game. Um, so you know, kudos to him for shaking that goal off early. I think they went up two zero after that, and I either fell asleep or just ended up turning it off because I um, was getting tired. But I was kind of, I think I went to bed at 2-0 and I, and I was thinking it would might go to overtime. I was thinking Vegas could come back and force the overtime. They did. And when I checked the scoreboard in the morning and found out that they won, it was, uh, I think that's all they needed. They just needed to take one from Colorado at home and, you know, Flurry's playing really well right now. They're going back into Vegas. He's going to want to close this one out. So look to him to be standing on his head tonight. Um, right. And if that's the case, if that's the case, back to your point, Landis Cog, Rontanen, and McKinnon have to be going tonight because they're the only ones who are going to be able to score on Flurry if he's on his game. Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah, they're going to have the best chance, rather. Yeah. And I, I think it was a good thing that Vegas won in game seven against Minnesota because, you know, had they lost that game, then the question of Vegas closing out series since 2018 would have been a question mark. And people would be like, 
I don't know about Vegas, man. This team definitely struggles to close out series. And if they if they win tonight, you know, I think that it, it'll be good for Vegas. And, and I think that they'll also win tonight because because of that. You know, they don't want to go to a game seven. They they want to close this series out the moment they can. They didn't they did do that against Minnesota, but it took two extra games for them to do so. And they don't want to put themselves in that situation. Uh, they want to close. Yeah, you can do that against Minnesota. You can't do that against Colorado. Oh, you, you give Colorado another chance at home, right? It could be scary. It could get ugly for you. It could. I mean, you're right. It's, it's not a. It's not to say that Minnesota is bad or anything. It's not to say that they they're a lackluster team. But certainly Vegas up against that team can definitely win it. Um, it went seven, but hey, they they got through it, and I think tonight will be. Uh, a testament to see if they can close out a series. You know, it's it's nice that if they were to lose tonight, they can still win in Game 7. And, you know, let's say it happens where they lose tonight and they win in Game 7. It's nice that you win that series. But the question mark of closing out series at home especially is going to be troublesome for them if they don't win tonight. And you're right, they, they don't want to go to Colorado and, and, and face McKinnon at home because McKinnon's determined. I mean... I remember last year when they got knocked out by uh, Dallas, the overtime hat trick goal by Yoel Kiviranta. I remember they panned right to McKinnon on the bench, and that guy was even worse than uh, Connor McDavid when they, whenever they would pan to him after the Jets would win in overtime. He was just like, he was breathing so heavily too. Right? He was just out of gas, and it was just because they played him so much, but also because he's he's just a very determined. Uh, player who wants to win i mean he's been in this league for how long now he doesn't have a cup and he really hasn't gotten anywhere close to a cup so that's a good point and he's been high flying the whole time too yeah that's a a good point to make yeah you're right i mean this is this really is the best looking colorado has been since mckinnon has joined that club i think because just what was it two two years ago they knocked Calgary out in the first round. Yeah. And funny. then I think they were, a, a was, were they around two exit after that? Um, I don't remember. I don't think they made it to the finals. Did they play the Sharks? No, yeah, you're right. Yep, you're right. They they were a second round exit to the Sharks. Yep. Okay. I don't know how many games. I, off the top of my head, I want to say seven games, but I could be wrong. And that says a low seed. I mean, I think Calgary was number one in the West that year, yep. which would have they made were them the last place team. Yeah, they were so. because that was the year um, Colorado, Dallas, Carolina, and uh, Columbus, all the wild cards beat the uh, um, oh the, the, the higher the seed. One, the division winners, I guess. The one and two. Yeah, yeah one and two. They, they crushed them and, and – uh, and I, I think you're right. I think that they do have a better team here, probably the best team he's been on because they have more depth. I know that the last two years in 2019 and 2020, they've been criticized for having a lack of depth and you know, uh, getting out and getting uh, Saad and, and Kadri and, and even Burkowski, Those Though those guys aren't new to this team necessarily, it, it at least adds a little bit more um, playoff experience for them as yep. well scoring for them and and uh veteran leadership too yeah that too and obviously Kadri's out because of his um 
his hit on Justin Falk that suspended him was it eight or seven games? Eight. Eight. Yeah, for eight games. So he's he could return, I think, in game seven, is what I heard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I heard that. So again, I mean, if <laughs> that's a even better topic to bring up because if this goes to seven games, now you gotta play Kadri in uh in Colorado and that guy's gonna be fired up. You know, he's probably been dying to play and He'd be ready to play at home and, and just start hitting everything he sees as long as it's legal. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that guy can come out. He could come out hot, you know, hotter than than smoke uh, if he returns in Game Seven. I actually, I would look to him if they, if Colorado can make it a Game Seven. I would look to him at Game Seven because he he should probably come out with a full head of steam. Yeah. Um, with his head on square. And and when he does that, when he plays like that, he's a guy that you want on your team in the postseason. So yeah, if they if Colorado can force game seven, I, I would look to Kadri to maybe be the unsung hero of game seven. I would I would definitely agree with that. Totally agree. And then on the flip side with Vegas, I also wanted to get to this point too. Um similarly to um me not I guess calling them out for lack of a better term, Suzuki and Kakaniemi, you know, if Montreal wanted to see success, those guys would have to step up. Again, I, I don't know how long ago, I, I want to say maybe two games ago, or two episodes ago, rather, um, I called out Marcia So and I called out Smith for if Vegas wants to find any more playoff success in the future, those guys have to step up. Again, those guys must have heard me for whatever reason, or, you know, they must they must have... I must have an ear with them because they've been on, they've been phenomenal in this series since um, I want to say game two. Even though that Vegas lost that game, the, that was kind of like a turning of the table in this series where uh, I, I personally thought that they, although they lost that game, Vegas picked up a, a morale victory and going into Vegas for game three, that morale carried over and it clearly transitioned. And then since then, yeah, um, Marsha So and Smith, man, Marsha So had a hat trick in game four. I mean, he was unstoppable in that game. And again, it was against their top line of McKinnon and Ranton and Landis Cog. It's what you want to see. You want to see Marsha So. I mean, granted, it's nice to see other guys like Stone and other guys like Pacioretty scoring, but Marsha So, Smith, and and uh, Carlson, those guys have been with this team since the beginning. And to see them producing now, it definitely makes Vegas a, a, a very strong team. Um, and even Pacioretty, since coming back from his injury, uh, he's looking great too. So this team's rolling right now, and, and it, they're really rolling fast, and they're firing on all cylinders because Marcia So and Smith have been able to pick it up. Uh, they're they're phenomenal in Game Four. I watched that game, and it was just unbelievable. I was like, "Holy cow! Like you're not beating Marcia So. You're not going to get to to Riley Smith. These guys were just on fire." Yeah, that um, back to that game too that you mentioned. They didn't win that game on the scoreboard, but what they did win was they grounded the plane. the The momentum plane that that Colorado had boarded. Getting your doors blown off in the playoffs like that can really, really generate something for a team that was that was the victor. Um, but yeah, that second game, I remember watching that, and I do remember, you know, saying to myself, they may not have won on the scoreboard, but 
but they definitely controlled the pace of play a lot better. They um, they kept it a close game, obviously, and, and they took they took a lot of what Colorado was generating in that first game, and they squashed it. And so Colorado was still able to come out of the with the win in that game, but as we have seen, they have not been able to uh, get back to that level of scoring that they had. And it could be very attributed to that game two um, performance that Vegas put together, despite losing. Right. And the last point I'll make for the series, and then we can move on, is Grubauer uh, lately, I wouldn't completely blame it on him, but his his play has definitely dipped. And it's playing in the hand of Vegas, obviously, because, you know, Flurry is, is still unbelievable as he is. And, you know, I mean, he has his, he has had his fluky goals in this series. Uh, that sod goal they had, uh, and I think there was one more goal. Um, I want to say in Game Five to start it off. The first goal they had, it was a very fluky goal on on Flurry, but he's able to kind of shut it down afterwards. You know, it, it's kind of like um, you can you can allow a fluky goal to go in because you know it's like okay, it's all right. You know, Flurry's just going to shut it down. Um, but with Grubauer, it's it seems like they have a book on him now, and they've been they've been uh, catering to that book, and it's been uh, producing for Vegas. And again, in Game Six, you want to make sure Grubauer's going, and you want to make sure that top line's going because without those two um, aspects of their game, I don't see how uh, Colorado can come out of tonight with a win and force Game Seven. Uh, if I were to predict, I think tonight the series ends, um, and you know, but we'll see. You know, you never know. I think so, yeah. I think you're right. I think you need Grubauer uh, to be playing up to that Vezina nomination quality tonight. Tonight and the next game, if you, if there is a next game. Yep. Um, we'll go into a, an anticipated review of a series in the <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, I will just hand it off to Anne. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I have been processing this series for almost 48 hours now. Um, it, it's, it's disappointing. It, again, um, it's not disappointing in the manner that it has been in the last two seasons, but it was a disappointment this year nonetheless. Um, games one and two were very close. Oh, first of all, one thing I want to mention. This series, I don't think had any empty net goals. Um, and all the games were very close. Uh, except for, I think, game, game four was a two-goal game. But game one and two were awesome games to watch. I mean, I really, if, if we could extrapolate those, the cadence of those two games into the rest of the series... I think this would have been a much more enjoyable series to watch for me uh, and just Carolina Hurricanes fans in general. Um, so here, I want to start by saying Dougie Hamilton really stepped it up. Um, he was playing like he was like he's going to be a free agent this year, which he is. And he wants to make money. So he definitely was showing a side of him that I hadn't seen. Um, when I don't have any specific examples with different players, but um, in 2000, in the 2019 series, he 
was going into the corner with Ovechkin at one point and like I think just like flaked away from the play because you could tell a big hit was coming and it was like I mean as a defenseman myself it was embarrassing to watch that you never want to see yourself acting like that you look like a you know you look like you're trying to shy away from what the sport is really about um, and that's playing dirty, playing hard in the corners, especially in the playoffs when you're trying to grind out wins. And he never really has had that take the initiative on a play mentality in him, but I saw it a lot more in this playoff series. And um, I hope he continues to play like that because when he does, um, it does something not only for the team, but it definitely does something for his confidence. Um, the defense as a whole was playing very well this series. I, I hate to say it, but the whole team really was playing really well. I know we didn't have a whole lot of depth scoring. Um, we had a lot of injuries this year as a whole, not just the playoffs. And so they had been they've been digging deep in the lineup all, all season. Um, so I didn't expect a whole lot from the depth scoring. I know you need that to win a to win a cup, and so. Um, after game four, you know, I really knew that this series was over with. I had said it, you know, that the away team was going to win every game besides game seven, um, but unfortunately it didn't make it to a game seven. Vasilevsky uh, in Carolina was was literally playing on some other level. I mean, if you ever saw a direct, like, uh, eye shot of him when he was in Carolina, the guy was locked in and I mean there was nobody in the world that he was in with him it was literally just him and a puck that moved around in Carolina and he almost never uh didn't see it two times he didn't see it and uh over three games so really the series in Carolina played out really well I thought in game five there was a couple penalties called early in game one that got Tampa going that I didn't really like, uh, and I'll use that to dovetail into game three and four. <sighs> I'm trying to be delicate about this because I don't want to sound whiny, but games three and four, I felt, were a miscarriage of officiating. I think game two or game three, I think there was a shutout stolen from Mrazek because of the penalty calls. Ahu was called with a very weak cross check in the front of the net um, that I was questioning. I think Hamilton had a pretty weak hooking call. And if you watch the replay, he's actually his stick is being held during the, the hook, of which I didn't see a hook. I just his arm is like reaching underneath the opponent from behind, and his opponent is like clenching down his forearm. And they didn't lose game three, but it went to overtime. They could have lost. I thought that they took a shutout away on away ice. So that's a pretty big um, ticket to, to take away from a team momentum-wise. They could have really built off that. And in game four, I think flat out that that game was taken away from us um, through the officiating. The, I think the penalty calls were two to six. Uh, in favor of Tampa, and they were three for six on their power play. Uh, a lot of the calls for the playoffs, I thought, were pretty weak. 
Um, when the playoffs come through, I don't want to see a whole lot of bookings. I don't want to see a whole lot of slashings on the on the sheets. I don't want to see many cross checkings. I, I want to see delay of games, you know, black and white stuff. Um, yeah, and real boardings. Quick, just, Go ahead. For hooking, slashing, and tripping, um, specifically hooking and, and slashing, I would only call those if there's a breakaway and a defender's coming up from behind him and he, you know, he, he, you can see him kind of get a stick yep. in the way or come down on the hand or come down on the yep. stick. His, that You're taking away a scoring okay opportunity. That, uh, yeah, that I'm totally okay with. But if it's a battle in the corner and... If it's um, just general play. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Just let it be. You know, it's. I think. I think one of the games in the Minnesota series with Vegas had three penalties in total. That that game four you mentioned had eight total penalties, and six of them went to uh, Tampa Bay, where they went three for six on the power play. And personally, it's like, I saw a lot of people saying, "Well, you should kill all those penalties," and it's just like it's a lot to ask when six penalties. I gotta calm down. A lot of them were called kind of back to back to one another. So you're that's you're the thing, man. Have a lot of time. And, to and not only that, but the timeliness of it. In game three, when we went up 2 0 and we were humming and the building was silent, it was like boom. There was two quick calls. One of them resulted, I think the second one was a goal. And then shortly after that, they scored even strength. And it's like you just completely brought Tampa right back into this game with, with one blow of the whistle, more or less. And the other the, thing. One. Um, let me just quick. finish this. Okay. I know. I I gotta finish this quick. <laughs> when when you call penalties like this, and there's a goalie on the other end of the ice that is almost unstoppable, you can't be calling six power plays for that team. We scored four goals against Andre Vasilevsky. Any other team would have probably won the game at that point if they can just hold them, which we were. After they went up four two, the same thing that happened from game three happened. They called the penalty. There was a power play goal. And, I, and actually, it might have been two. I think they got two power play goals to come back to a 4-4 game. I'll let you talk. Yeah, so I was going to mention that. When it went 4-2, when, uh, when Jacob Slavin just kind of throws the net awkwardly towards... Um, Which, by the way, game. that angle was impossible. <sighs> That was, and that was after Hamilton's goal too. So you know, right. I was buzzing. I was having a good time after that. And that's when I thought, perfect. Um, it's going exactly, I think, how a lot of people wanted this series to go. Both these teams did really well in their divisions. They're very powerful teams, very strong teams. And to make the series two-two there would have definitely just been. Um, the, the bees knees there. Everyone wanted to see that series go longer than five. I mean, because now the takeaway from that series is, oh, wow, the Carolina Hurricanes, they they went out in five games when really had yep. they just won game uh, four and, and the officiating was just a little less tighter than it was. Even, it, even it if you really, just half the calls that are made in game four, that almost guarant- that almost makes it a four three game, and it, and it and you can more or less say Carolina probably takes that win. It's tough, man. It, it, I was furious when it happened. I was furious for the first day after it. Um, but what I do have to say, and this is how I wanted to end it, so that I don't sound like a whiny little loser, is right. that at the end of the day, 
you have to win four games in a best of seven. If you want to win, if you even want a shot at winning the Stanley Cup, you have to win your four games against the team that you're facing. No matter how you do it, you have to. And the refs are, as you know, despite having a pretty big sway on how a game can go, they're part of the game and they're a variable in the game that you need to deal with. And the Hurricanes, I mean, it's stacked up against them. They handled it really well. It's like, I know the series was 4-1, but go back and look at all the scoreboards. You see that Tampa had six power plays. They scored three goals from them, and they still only won that game by two. No empty net goals, by the way. There's no empty net goals at all in this, in this series, I don't think. Because Carolina, when they're on the empty net, I mean... It, it was full domination. It, they, they're, they're right there with Tampa. If you watch the games, if you follow it, and you don't look at the scores, you don't look at all the data or the statistics, it was a really good series. It's just, I hate to say it, but it, it came down to the officiating, specifically in game four, and even in game three to an extent. They overcame that adversity in game three, but it was, it was even larger in game four, and they couldn't, they couldn't overcome that. And uh, it's unfortunate. And one of the reasons why they can't, here's a criticism that I got. I'm sure you'll agree with this one. I am so sick and tired of seeing guys like Turbo, Aho, Sveshnikov. I mean, these are shooters, right? I'm tired of seeing them make three, four really nice, you know, lateral passes and spreading the ice out all this way. And then all of a sudden, just to do this like backhanded drop off to your left to someone who's like flying in, not really ready for the puck. I'm so sick of like that one more pass. Let's get one more pass and like make, make it pretty, make it, um, you know, make it a highlight real goal. This is the playoffs, man. We're not trying to score like that anymore. Um, that was one of my major concerns is the forwards were just, really trying to be way too pretty sometimes. And they've always had that issue. They've had that issue in the playoff or in the regular season for God, probably since Jeff Skinner joined the club, I would say. And, and I was going to say like a lot of those guys, I think, especially uh, turbo and Svechnikov, they just didn't have a lot of production as I thought they would. Um, But you're right. But nobody did Nick either because Andre Vasilevsky was playing on his head. No, when a goalie does that, it's, no one's It's full credit to Andre Vasilevsky, too. I mean, it's it not is. a takeaway from them, but it's also to say, um, you know, the, the, to the point you just made, I mean, they, they seem to pass a lot, and I think it's why your power play struggled. Um, I remember in game four, granted, uh, Tampa had a lot of momentum when you guys were on the power play, but it was just like watching you guys kill penalties against the Predators, where they were getting more chances than you on the power play. And I think it was just because Turbo, Ajo, Svechnikov, those guys were trying to look for those perfect lateral passes and just trying to do too much. And that's kind of what happens when your game sort of get when you, when a team gets frustrated that they can't score on a goaltender, they try to simplify things. What do we know best? Passing. You know, that's really easy to do. It's simple. And they just try to do too much of it. And I think that that was a hint at, uh, at this, at least with those... Uh, forwards that you mentioned the the core forwards yeah they're they're definitely um it's funny because they're a team that shoots a ton and i'm finding myself saying why aren't you shooting that puck a lot with them you know 
they were taking a lot of shots, but the qualities of the shots that they were taking weren't really there. Um, yeah, you you know, going into game four, especially once the the scoreboard was getting out of control, um, and then even in game five, they were just getting pucks on net because that's seemingly all they could do. Um, they looked really good on the penalty kill, like they usually do. Uh, the goaltending came through. I don't have a whole lot of criticism for them. Uh, Mrazek stepped up in game three and four. I got to give him a salute. Uh, he's he's always he's been a, a veteran now with these guys. Uh, Stall was a little bit non um, non-existent, a little bit invisible. I'd like to see him step up a little bit more in that series. And I think um, um, Tampa, Tyler Johnson, man, what has happened to him? He, he came flying up the wing in game four, I think, or game, either game four or game You're three. You're right, it was game four. I think it was. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so you know the play. Yeah, he came flying up on a, that, that he forced into a two-on-one because I think Hamilton went down. Trying to stop him. I wrote the note down. Hold on. Um, where I said, where'd he go? Where did that confidence in him go? Because he's, he blew by Yanni Hockenpah. And Brady Shea is now struggling just to keep it a one-on-two because of Johnson's speed. And he's waiting, 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 going down the, the, uh, the side on, near the face-off circle and the boards. And then he finally elects to pass, but he waited so long that Hockenpah was able to get back and make the diving uh, breakup. And I'm like, you know, the equivalent of that is like for the Hurricanes would be like seeing Aho or Svechnikov just come wheeling up the ice to just pass. They're a shooter. He's a, he was a shooter. You want him to shoot. Um, so I don't know. I, I sort of see a, a lack of confidence in Tyler Johnson in this series. And I even think in the first series, he was a little bit non-existent. But you yeah, might... He's, he's fallen down in that lineup. I remember when in 2015, he was a big part of uh, their success in that, in that run when they lost to uh, the um, Chicago Blackhawks. He was a big part of it. I think that that was when Palat Johnson and I think maybe Kucherov was their biggest line. Um, those guys were like not rookies at the time, but they were definitely, you know, seen as young talents, young, young guns. guns. Yeah, um, he's definitely fallen from that sort of spotlight. Palat has never fallen, and obviously not neither has Kucherov. But Johnson uh, did fall, and I think it's just because you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning; they got a lot of big players, a lot of a lot of just yeah. you know, power forwards, and he kind of just couldn't find himself staying in the top six. That's a good um, point. It's almost like Nathan Gerby. Yeah, but I mean, even with Nathan Gerby, at least he, he's got speed. But to your point, I think uh, Johnson, as he was down the lineup. Nasty speed, just, though, too. But I think it's just a lack of confidence. I mean, speed's one thing too. in this league, but you got to be able to have a skill with it, too. I mean, good it's point. great that you can blow by somebody, but if you can't score a goal... You know, it, it's, I mean, he couldn't even take a shot in that scenario that I was describing. Right, exactly. Oh. It's like, you know, you're going to blow by a defender and not even get a shot off, you know? 
it, it's definitely a lack of confidence for him. Um, but, but yeah, the last the last thing I had to mention from that series was Sergachev really really stepped it up, and uh, I think he really knew that Vasilevsky was carrying a lot of the weight for those guys, and was the main reason that that the Canes were contained so much. So I think he really he really laid it out for them in Game Five. And um, a lot of our shots never made it through because of him. So yeah, him and him and all, McDonough. Yeah, all in all, it's. I mean, I mentioned it before we started recording. It is nice when your team exits and you watch that first game that doesn't involve any any players you've watched uh, at length this season. It's kind of bliss. Um, and you don't realize how stressed out you make yourself when your team is still in so it was a good year it was um they handled nashville i'm gonna remember that series i'm gonna try not to remember the officiating um because outside of the officiating i thought it was a phenomenal series and i thought both teams were very evenly matched despite this series um for one ending yeah and with that being said, it's a good segue into the Bruins Islanders series. Speaking of stress, because uh, my friend Ryan, he's a Bruins fan, and I went to his house last night to watch that game. And uh, stress was definitely in the air for last night's game six performance. Uh, and though they do lose that game, I think six to two, uh, it was two empty net goals. So if you really want to look at it, technically the score was four two with two empty net goals. And it was a close game, and there was just there was just a major um, collapse from the Bruins in the second period. And I think it started with 17 seconds into the period. Kyle Palmieri's kind of in the corner, um, and I believe they got a shot off. And it's just kind of like where uh, players skate by, but um, he gets his shoulder up on McAvoy, and McAvoy goes right down and. It looks like he's injured, and now, you know, for a little bit, they were without McAvoy, Carlo, uh, and a lot of their big-name um, defensemen who uh, typically shut it down for him. And, and, you know, once that happened, the New York Islanders just took that game over. It was, for him, it was very upsetting and very frustrating for him to watch because he obviously wanted to see, uh, you know, the Bruins come back from it, but he was also, by the way, he was also upset with a lot of non-calls in that game. And, and I had to agree. There were a lot of um, non-calls. There was one early in this uh, first period, I think, where I want to say Adam Pellick uh, was um, responding to a, a, a Charlie McAvoy pinch. And he's coming down the boards, Charlie McAvoy is, and he gets the puck first and he makes his move around him. And his knee hits right onto Pellick's knee. It was Pellick, I think, knew at that point that, you know, he couldn't beat McAvoy to the puck. And he tried to make it look like he could play the body on him, but he, he clearly got a knee on him. Uh, and they didn't call that. And, uh, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember any other calls. I think there was a missed high stick on, uh, I forget which player it was on the Islanders, but it hit Bergeron right in the head and they missed that call. Um, and, you know, when they were down 4-1 in that game, I was like, don't be upset, man. Like, you know, there's still a chance that they can come back. I mean, they almost did it in game five, went home. And, 
you know, when they scored on the power play to make it 4-2, I was like, you know, you can't count the Bruins out, man. They've shown plenty of times when they've come back being down three goals. Yeah, just uh, ask Toronto. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when it, when it started 4-1, four, four to one, I remember turning him to him saying, and I said, uh, remember the last 4-1? You know, and it was a hint to, to the Toronto series. Yeah. Overall, though, I would say, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to really read into this series. I just, I think a lot of credit goes to Barry Trotz. Um, Ryan didn't like his, um, I think it was a post-game interview or some press conference he had before game five where he mentioned how Patrice Bergeron cheats in the face-off zone, or uh, cheats in the face-offs. Wait, Trotz? Yeah, Trotz said that. that. Trotz said that to Patrice, and then oh. Ryan, it made Ryan frustrated because the refs responded, and Patrice Bergeron was kicked out a lot of faceoffs in Game Five. Um, so it was kind of like the Lightning series where officiating kind of stepped in and, and took over, and and kind of um, took over the game specifically. But I, I just don't know how to really read this series. I, I did think. Boston was the better team, and I thought that they were going to move on. Um, they ended really? up not. I, I, yeah, I really did. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I think the Islanders are a good team, but I think on paper, with the way Hall, Craig Smith, and obviously the, the Bergeron line with Pasternak and Martian, I, I thought that those guys would really kind of take over because they've been in this position before. And, and with Tukarask, again, his career is, is probably coming to an end very soon. And you know, that Stanley Cup window is, is closing for them. So I thought that they would have a lot of um, motivation going into this uh, series to win it. Uh, and they weren't able to. But uh, credit to Barry Trotz and the Islanders. Semyon Varlamov played well in every game he played since taking over after uh, game one from Sorokin. They were really good games to watch. It was just unfortunate the way that game six ended. You know, it was it was frustrating to see again where another game officiating kind of, I wouldn't yeah. say favored the Islanders. Plays a role. Played a role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's too bad because this is you know this is the time of the year when you don't want that, and the NHL has always been so good about that. It's always been the best playoffs to watch because the officiating, you know, for the most part, stays out of all of it. But yeah, it's tough when they get involved like that. But um. No, what I had to say was, so watching Boston against New York is more what I was expecting from them, Boston, I mean, when they played Washington, and Washington outdid their that performance. <laughs> um, I think, I hate to say this, I have a lot of close Boston friends and family, uh, fan-wise, but I think Boston's been on a decline, uh, and I think that they... They're the era of, you know, they had the cup in 2011. They had some really good runs from that point on. 2013 was a good one. Um, but, you know, they made the finals. 2018, they went to, I think, what was it, seven games with St. Louis. Um, and so, you know, it's, and now Chara's gone. Marshawn's getting up there. Bergeron is getting up there. You now have Hall's contract that you need to decide if you want. Um, 
And I mean, just during the regular season, similar to us, I mean, they seemed like they had to pull a lot of people to fill roles and we were doing it for injury related reasons. But um, I don't, you know, Boston has lost a lot lately. They lost crew. They lost Chara recently. Um, you can technically count Carlo. Um, Joe Hansen too. He, I know yeah. he was a, a, a short time thing for them, but I thought he was pretty good. Uh, so they've lost a lot. Um, Rask is getting up there. He, he could be a question mark for next year. Uh, so something's going on in Boston. I just, I, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're that, that deep run pedigree anymore that we have become so accustomed to, uh, you know, Chicago went through that. They're now really not talked about anymore. And I think it's slowly beginning for Boston. I'm not saying it's going to that. Like, it's inevitable. Obviously, your roster can change. And, um, you know, you know, I'm sure Hall will probably want to uh, be cap-friendly with his negotiating because uh, this is the best he's looked on any team since entering the league, I think. Um so yeah, I thought New York played well. They they knew they had a chance to close out the series last night, and they were certainly playing like it. Um, it's tough. It's it's it, tough to talk about this one because it is. Rask played really well. That's what I was sucks yeah. the most. I think mm-hmm. you know in last night's game, um, Rask gave up four goals, but I think three of the goals. Matt Grizzlick had three just god-awful turnovers, and it led to three goals by the Islanders. And I, I told Ryan, I said, you necessarily can't be upset with this. I know that the refereeing was bad in this game, and it was bad in game five. I totally get that. But the New York Islanders are one of the most opportunistic teams ever. Look at the overtime, the double overtime winner they had against the Penguins. They had like 20 shots or something in that game, like 23 shots, and it's a double overtime. What happened? Jari gets the puck. He just makes a terrible play, and it's in the back of your net. Um, the Sezikis goal in game three, I think. Maybe it was game four, where, again, they're just getting outshot very badly. But they just have a bad turnover by Jeremy uh, Lauzon, and he just, Sezikis takes it, and he's on a breakaway, and he scores. They're just a very opportunistic team. You can't make mistakes against that team. They're going to make you pay for it, whether it's on the power play or whether it's just normal five-on-five play. They have a really well-rounded team. And though I did say that Boston would 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 end up winning this series, um, you know, you got to credit the Islanders. They they took care of business when when the uh, Bruins offered them an opportunity to to um, win the game. Mm-hmm. And not only that, man, but they are a team. I do this every year. Uh, whenever I'm bored, I always take a look at all the team stats and I just start sorting it by different things. And, you know, I like to look at data, basically. I'm a nerd. Yeah. I'll admit it. Yeah, my, my, original, <laughs> my original prediction for this series was I'll, the Islanders in six games and it ended up going that way. But I just thought that if Boston could turn it around. I mean, like I said, that this core is is getting older. Um, I say their their Stanley Cup window is closing. Tuka Rask was playing really well. Yeah. I feel like he gets so much criticism from the Boston fan base. That's so unwarranted. I mean, that guy really had a great series. 
And it's just, it's going to go down as, oh, he gave up four goals against the Islanders. And again, it was a low shot total. I, again, I, I think they they may have gotten maybe just over 20 goals in that game. So it, obviously his Whoa. save is going to be bad. But still, it's like he was playing great for you guys. So, turnovers. so here's the thing. The, the reason I prefaced that statement earlier about looking at the standings like as from the league's perspective and just sorting it on all the different statistics is because last year, I think it was last year, it might have been the season before for that in fact i think it might have been because i think it was a full season instead of the half but anyways whatever both seasons were pretty similar anyways even whichever one it was the other one was pretty similar stat wise is that new york had the lowest goals against and they also had the lowest shots taken that year so they're a team that doesn't need to shoot a whole lot and they also don't have to worry about a whole lot in the back of their net. They're a weird team to look at by the numbers. They're actually pretty similar to the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina that season was like 1-2 with New York for goals against, I think, compared to uh, shots. No, I think it was just um, getting ahead of myself. Carolina takes a lot of shots, doesn't allow a lot of goals. New York was took very little shots, allowed right. very little. Goals. That's what it was. I think that, um, like, for like goals against, they're always like top five in the league. They're um, one. They're number one. They are pretty okay. Much. Yeah, and then they, I was going to say for, the season for that goals. I was talking about, they were the only team with less than two hundred goals allowed, one eighty seven or one eighty four, something like that. Go ahead. Um, and then goals again or goals for it's always like they're mid midway mid pack like seventeen. Yeah, you know, they're, they're right. Team that scores a lot, but again, they're just an opportunistic team. And it's it's again, you don't even need high score scoring goals like a four three game or a five two right. game with the Islanders. It's they they're just managed to able to they're they managed to keep the puck out of their net. And obviously you're going to win that. Yeah. And the last. Yeah. And the last thing that I think might have helped last night, I didn't. I don't think I texted this to any of my friends because it would have been mean, I think, in the moment to say this. But last night, um, I think Zajac had a little bit of a decent game last night because there was a, I don't know if you saw it, but I think I saw like a feel-good article about him where he was saying that the team he came from was basically like, if you're not 25 or under, you don't fit in. Um, whereas now it's just like, you know, he's hanging out with the guys, I guess, like the team. He yeah, just, I think great. he just, yeah. So that, that feel good article I saw come out yesterday on him and I think he scored the first goal. Yeah. Yep. And so I was yeah. like, yes, uh, I didn't, I, I think I had it written out for Dave and then I backspaced it all. Yeah. It's probably the last thing you want to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a lot of fans coming out of this, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, now the Islanders are facing the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and they're just going to lose in five or they're going to get swept. Um, I, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I think the Islanders, Lightning, it's going to be a rematch of last year's semifinals. Uh, so it'll be good, good hockey to watch. I hope that the Islanders can prevail because I do want to see a new team out there in the Stanley Cup final. I don't want to see a possible another repeat from Tampa Bay. Uh, so I'm hoping that the Islanders 
come out on top. And I think with the additions of Paul Mary and Zajac, uh, yeah. they've, they've been great additions. And I think that it's those are huge depth that they needed that they didn't have uh, last season. And then they, to, to close, uh, sh- what's that? I was just going to say they should come up with an NHL award for best trade deadline yeah. uh, decision. That That'd be cool. Like a GM award. Yeah, exactly. Because they give away a GM award. So, Although they wouldn't, they wouldn't like that because you'd probably have to look at the playoffs for that award. <laughs> right? Yeah, because a lot of the deadline is just rental acquisition or acquisition. Right. Um, but to close out this, um, this series in this episode, I would just say that with the added depth that the, the Islanders have, and comparing them to the Tampa Bay Lightning, it, it'll be an interesting series. I think the Islanders come out on top, which is. It might be a little bold the way that Vasilevsky's playing, but I think they're now going to face a team that's a little bit more uh, physical than Carolina. Do we know? And the Panthers have been. So Z, that's do we know? Well, not only that, but a little bit more healthy, too. That, too. And even though Barzell's been struggling, um, whenever that guy scores, that team goes. So if he's going, if he can pick it up against the Lightning, and if Sezekis, Martin, and Clutterbuck, I mean, those guys, they're on the ice, they'll hit anything. So if they're physical with this Lightning team, um, I think we even mentioned it in previous episodes, when you're physical with the Lightning, this is a team that's kind of injury-prone throughout the season with Stamkos, Kucherov. Uh, even Sergachev gets injured a couple of times. Uh, when you yeah. start hitting them and you get physical with them, it, it wears them out, and I think the Islanders can play that that sort of uh, style of hockey that kind of disrupts uh, the Tampa Bay uh, game plan. I agree. And Tampa Bay will be at home. I just looked it up. Yep. So, you know what? Vasilevsky doesn't look good at home. I'm going to say New York wins this one. Five yeah, games. It's, it's bold predictions. I don't know how many games. I mean, I'll be I bold. Like this New York and five. <laughs> yeah, New York and five. I would say this, this goes seven. I'd say the Islanders in seven. I actually, I think it'll be six. New York and six. I think I, I don't I don't think Vasilevsky has been playing well at home. He didn't look good when we were playing him at home. No, he won he a did. game. So. Yeah, and we did. scored four against him in game four. So I think that favors New York right now. That's why I'm going with New York. All right. Fair enough. Burton wants being, New York too. Yeah. With that being said, we'll wrap up this episode. Uh, this was a weekly recap of the uh, round two, week two matchups. The last game of round two is tonight. Well, possibly the last game of round two. I say that because I think Vegas wins it, but who knows? Um, But it's on at nine o'clock tonight. Enjoy the only game that's on. Uh, And thank you for listening to us and peace out.